the little one is like she's so gangly. It's just like she's a tiny little thing. It just like and has no she she walks like Peter. Yeah. So like she uh, walks more, like she's with, never seen somebody walk before. <laughs> I would say that she walks in a manner that makes me look like I have spatial awareness. Yeah, and it's so like she it it's painful to have like thirty concentrated pounds in like certain areas it is. of your body. So when she like climbs on the bed and it's very like abrupt, disjointed, uncoordinated manner, that's our phrase is like butthole status is tightened. All right. Everybody, your butthole status should be tightened. <laughs> We're about to start. We're about to start. Should we add that to the intro from now on? Tighten your buttholes. Everybody, tighten your buttholes. It's time for packs. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, That's our intro. No, they yes. won't monetize our video. No, because it's butthole. It's not asshole. And really, asshole is fine. Oh, yeah, they allowed that recently. That's it. That's I'm changing it now. Hey, everybody, <laughs> tighten your buttholes. It's time <laughs> for packed. That's. Yeah, but that doesn't even make sense because then you'd be opening your butthole. That would get us demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> Open your butthole. <laughs> hey, everybody, tighten your buttholes. It's packed. I'm the P, Peter Coffin. The lovely Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor is right here. Well, down there, trying to avoid the being associated with the new tagline of PACT. Anyway, P and ACD makes PACT, get it? Also, the butthole thing creates a special bit of context with the PACT. This is not going to be how the intro comes out after editing. I'm just <clears throat> sorry. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Also, leave us a glowing review on Audible and Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate your reviews a great deal because we are a five-star podcast. Not three, not four, five. I'm a five-star man. <laughs> Help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pod. That's P-A-C-D-P-O-D. Your monthly support gets you into the Discord. It gets you uh, exclusive content as well as some content before everyone else. For instance, Representation Matters. My new documentary will be seen by all of the packed patrons before anybody else. We've got fantastic pack merch. <laughs> Finally, tell your friends. We rely so big on word of mouth. We stream 7 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. That's when we record the podcast. We edit it, put it up a few days later. Thank you so much for tuning in. So Dave Chappelle made a special called The Closer. <laughs> so you know just, how long I had to think about just that. An aside, <laughs> Peter and I like because th that's not what this is about. We're using, as we often do, a current event as an example to illustratively delve into theoretical concepts. Um, so we had to figure out what the special was called, and Peter kept calling it the closer. And I was like, because, no, I, I read it out loud saying the closer. Well, you, you were like, oh, it's the closer. Is it? Like, kind of like second guessing yourself. And then I decided 
Peter is usually wrong about, about how those things types are said. Yeah, it's if true. It's one of us, hundred percent. Um, and so then we had to like Find, go into a yeah. Joe Rogan video to just hear them say the the name of the it. The name of it. Uh, I blame Trent Reznor for this, for having a song called "Closer." I mean, the song fucks. And it will get people to fuck. It does. And honestly, it is not a time because we were not able to connect this afternoon when it was Or last night. But yeah, I blame Mr. Reznor. This is a Nine Inch Nails household. Yeah. So, um, the closer, the special. By the way, that's... No, it's the closer. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I did that. Yeah, anyway. The closer. We didn't watch it. Don't really care about it. There's a a big issue with trans folks about this. And all of the workers at Netflix uh, decided to have a walkout over it. Dave Chappelle, wow, surprise, and said some transphobic shit and sided with J.K. Rowling and his comedy special. Don't know the context, so I'm not going to make an evaluated statement on it. And so a black trans woman who worked at Netflix encouraged other workers to walk out uh, and she was terminated. I I guess, nonetheless, they did walk out. So this resulted in a list of demands um, from the employees at Netflix who walked out that have instigated a discourse among Internet active self-identifying socialists and communists about what being working class means with many saying that these people are not workers because they have comfortable salaried jobs at Netflix. Um, It's been framed by some as like, you know, not an actual labor advocacy movement of people walking out, but something that is, as Catherine Liu would say, and we'll talk about a little bit later, but Uh, performative transgression, which there are many things that can be true at the same time when we talk about these worker demands. The main thing that we'll start with is that it initiated a discourse about are these people really workers or are they petit bourgeois or are they professional managerial class? And if they are any of those things, does that make them workers um, or part of the proletariat or something else? So the Netflix walkout demands are as such. Eliminate references and imagery of Chappelle inside of the workplace, including but not limited to murals, posters, room names, and swag. So basically, like, visible Chappelle stuff. Take down triggering stuff. Um, Acknowledgement that the special causes harm to the trans community and Netflix's responsibility on it, so we keep the conversation around transphobia evolving internally. Join the conversation. Join the conversation. Hey, this isn't fucking adversaries. Trans and non-binary content investment. That's a key one right there. I have to think about what that means. That, I mean, it gets more direct than what they mean by that. Yeah. Investment in trans or non-binary content on Netflix comparable to our total investment in transphobic content, including comparable investment in the promotion of content. It just sounds like they're advocating for like a private version of the fairness doctrine and enforcing it internally to me right there. The comparable class of investment should include, but not limited to the works of Dave Chappelle, 
such as the investment in The Closer and Sticks and Stones and Ricky Gervais's Afterlife, etc. I can hear every time it comes up. You're like, don't say closer. Don't say closer. Both of our statuses are getting tighter. Butthole status (laughs) sealed. Investment in multiple trans creators to make both scripted and unscripted programs across genres. Revisit internal processes on commissioning and or releasing potentially harmful content involving numerous and diverse parties that can speak on its harm, including consultation on third-party vendors. Revisit the ERG role in conversations around potential harmful content and develop materials to ensure that we have the best-in-class regional support on complicated diversity issues. Here it comes. Hire transgender content executives in leading positions and promote an inclusive environment for them. Recruit trans people for leadership roles in the company, director, VP, and promote an inclusive environment for them. The ability for trans employees and allies to be able to remove themselves from company promotional content, e.g. allyship videos, etc. Which, do you ever see those Amazon videos where they take a camera through like the warehouse and the employees are like, I love working for Amazon. It's such a good fucking place to work. God damn, yeah. Don't fire me, please. That one for me is basically the only legitimate one because I think that it's horrible that they coerce people into those types of videos. Yeah, I mean, and that do it sucks. Uh, for me, like a diversity one would be like a hundred <laughs> times worse. Right. Um, anyway, a disclaimer before the closer, specifically saying it contains transphobic language, misogyny, homophobia, and hate speech and boost promotion for disclosure and other trans-affirming titles on the platform. Notice nowhere in the demands is there anything about the trans employee who is fired over suggesting the walkout or any employee protections for trans people at all. Now, you cannot, under any circumstance, label any of these, including the one that we don't find objectionable, as class struggle. They are not attempting to take down any aspect of the contradiction in the capital relations at play in Netflix. This is class collaboration, whether it's pure representation in terms of media representation, whether it's representation in terms of in the bourgeoisie of the company, right, the executive more managers class. of ex-identity. The yeah. representation in the bourgeoisie is class cl- collaboration yeah. and it solves our problems. It's the idea that having a diverse bourgeoisie is equality. At its core, these are all class collaborative demands. These are things where the workers at Netflix are advocating to have management and the ownership work with them, which is not a new paradigm. (laughs) Right. It's not a new paradigm. And like, this is not something that I figured Netflix is going to be antagonistic towards. And if anything, it's something that they can They can take advantage of it and ultimately further their own interests with it. But a lot of what this sounds like is workers whose ideologies, even in the aesthetics, the performative aesthetics of walking out, uh, were not really materially asking for anything and ultimately advocate for efforts to join with the ruling class and, and, and to become part of them. Mm-hmm. So let's get into Bertram D. Wolf's How Class Collaboration Works. This is a book from 1926 by Bertram D. Wolf. 
He was a, a member of the CPUSA, uh, a, a Marxist-Leninist, and really, really illustrated like what class collaboration and a labor aristocracy is in an American context uh, well. The economics of class struggle are simple economics. The worker produces his own wages and his boss's profits. How much of his product he keeps, how much the boss takes, these are the economic questions underlying the elementary struggles of the workers and the employers. The economic basis of the class struggle, reduced to its simplest terms, amounts to this. If the worker gets more of his product in the form of wages, the boss must get less in the form of profits. If the boss gets more, the worker gets less. What is good for the boss is bad for the worker. What is good for the worker is bad for the boss. This is true in America just as it is in other countries. In spite of this fact, we hear politicians and labor leaders declaring that the interests of capital and labor are identical. They assert what is good for the boss is good for the worker, and what is bad for the one is bad for the other. So what, what he's saying is he's describing a component of the fundamental contradiction of capitalism, which overall is socialized production, privatization of profits. Because of that contradiction, what benefits the worker in the form of higher wages is bad for the boss because that takes away profits. What is good for the boss, which is greater extraction of surplus value from what the laborer produces, um, is bad for the worker in, in the form of lower wages. So very basic shit. Yeah. So such leaders try to turn our unions into organizations that help the boss to make more profits instead of helping the worker to take more of his product in the form of wages. They want the unions to cooperate with the boss in place of fighting the boss. They want to substitute class peace for class war, identity of interest for conflict of interest, and class collaboration for class struggle. Many workers have a very easy economic explanation for this. Our leaders are bribed by the bosses. Financial or political payments and rewards, such to them as the economic basis of class collaboration. Such an explanation leaves many things unexplained. Why the members of a union do not throw out such leaders when they are exposed. Why the exposure leaves them often unsurprised and unmoved. Why they often support and follow a leader who preaches collaboration with the boss. Why not only leaders, but whole sections of the working class believe in class collaboration and accept it as the unconscious basis of their thought and action. Why not leaders alone, but whole sections of the working class are bribed? These are the fundamental questions to be answered. These whole sections of the working class are the labor aristocracy. They are part of the working class. They benefit from promoting and reproducing the ideologies that support capital interests. Mm -hmm. They are the working class. They're a segment of the working class. We are not so much interested in the personal corruption of an individual leader. This guy fucks. Um, it is not the personal corruption of an individual leader, but the impersonal corruption of a whole section of workers. That is what today, and we'll argue for this later, um, a lot of people call the professional managerial class that is involved. And it is far more important to understand such roots of class collaboration than the phase of direct bribery of individual leaders. This bitch had it in 1926. 1926. To reduce the matter to its simplest economic terms, we can put it this way. There is in America a section of the labor movement known as the aristocracy of labor. 
It is a privileged section working shorter hours and receiving better pay than the average worker. Out of the enormous extra profit or super profit made by American monopolistic and imperialist capitalism, higher profits than any other in the world, some crumbs are thrown to the so-called aristocracy of labor. Where American capitalism gets these extra profits, why it gives some of this super profit to some sections of the working class, how this is done and what effect it has upon the bribed sections of the working class, the labor aristocracy or PMC. These are the fundamental problems to be investigated. At this moment, when the ascendancy of American capital and its monopoly of the world investment market is definitely assured, when the total loans of our bankers abroad amount to about $10 billion, and when the beginning of payments under the debt funding plans will build up ever-increasing sums for reinvestment, and when the number of foreign government and industrial loans mounts in continually increasing ratio, the importance of such investigations cannot be overemphasized. To repeat, a concrete understanding of the economics underlying class collaboration and the creation of an aristocracy of labor is indispensable for understanding the American labor movement. And it still is now. And this is before the 1960s and the new left, the synthetic left, the Congress for Cultural Freedom. This is before all of that, which cultivates the professional managerial class that people, and even like Marxists, some of us, get pretty hung up on. To put it very simply, Wolf says the labor aristocracy consists of workers, albeit bourgeois-minded ones. This is a direct quote, might I add. Uh, and their false consciousness and relative privilege leads them not only to complacency, but to advocacy of class collaboration instead of class struggle. Sounds a little bit like uh, the Netflix walkout, doesn't it? Yes, in a performative, transgressive way. Um, if you're having difficulty, which you probably aren't because it's pretty clear, the the demands that specifically like scream class collaboration to me are the ones that pertain to executive and VP and like board well, yeah. representative positions. When they're saying recruiting trans people for leadership roles in the company, director, VP. That's just like, okay, so you want to maintain the system that they are using um, and use anti-capitalist aesthetics to do it by walking out. So... So you can see why people are having such emotional reactions to conceptualizing these Netflix employees as workers is because when, when you see the contradiction between like the radical aesthetic that they're putting on, like, wow, we're fuck the man. We're walking fuck out. You guys, we're walking out. We're not working and for then you, they say, the man. Um, can we be part of the the capitalism yeah can we also be the man can we can we also be the man so the characterizations that internet socialists communists leftists etc have attributed to these folks uh have been one of two things either they've just decided they're petty bourgeoisie or that they're professional managerial class in any case they are positive that these folks are not workers and to introduce the professional managerial class, um, the generalized definition is that it refers to a, and I'm using scare quotes here, social class within capitalism that, by controlling production processes through superior management skills, is neither proletarian nor bourgeoisie. 
This group of middle-class professionals is distinguished from other social classes by their training and education, typically business qualifications and university degrees, with occupations including academics, teachers, social workers, engineers, managers, nurses, and middle-level administrators. The professional managerial class tends to have incomes above the average for their country. The term was coined in 1977 by John and Barbara Ehrenreich, uh, the term became widely used in American political discourse in the late 2010s as a shorthand to refer to technocratic liberals or wealthy Democratic voters. So right there, you probably can notice some problems if you understand the Marxist conceptualization of class immediately. First off, class is not determined based on identity. It's not based on income level. It's not based on qualifications. It's not based on um Another one that's randomly come up a lot is that you're circulating value rather than creating value, which is just total fucking nonsense. But it's not based in any of those things. Class is a material relationship to means of production. If you are a proletarian, if you are in the working class, it is because you have only your labor power to sell and you are selling it. That's it. And Lenin and Engels and Marx all say the same thing. And it doesn't matter whether they're talking about capitalism or they're talking about the state. They end up putting forward this exact same thing. You own the means of production. You're in the ruling class. Congrats. Right. That these ideas, which were repeated by Engels over the course of decades, were so expressed by him publicly in the press, as proved by his preface to the second edition of The Condition of the Working Class in England, 1892. Here he speaks of an aristocracy among the working class of a privileged minority of the workers and contradistinction to the great mass of working people, a small, privileged, protected minority of the working class alone was permanently benefited by the privileged position of England in 1848 to 1868, whereas the great bulk of them experienced at best but a temporary improvement. With the breakdown of that monopoly, the English working class will lose that privileged position. The members of the new unions the unions of the unskilled workers had this immense advantage that their minds were virgin soil, entirely free from the inherited, respectable bourgeois prejudices which hampered the brains of the better situated old unionists, the labor aristocracy who perpetuate capital ideology or capitalist ideology. The so-called workers' representatives in England are people who are forgiven their being members of the working class because they themselves would like to drown their quality of being workers in the ocean of their liberalism. And this grew over time, the, this minority of aristocratic workers, like with what I said in the Congress for Cultural Freedom, the new left, um, the growth of the synthetic left into the 21st century, um, all of these, you know, people from just wealthier families, these kind of yuppie characters, um, becoming college educated, becoming involved in the radical aesthetics of performative transgression and, and kind of wanting to abolish bedtimes, masters <laughs> and gods. Parents um, of the first oppressors. Yeah, that kind of thing uh, happening. These became yuppies. They went to college. And they became the professors, the middle managers. And that is who the Ehrenreichs are describing when they talk about the beginnings of the professional managerial class. With the definition of class being or existing through a dialectical materialist perspective, 
the main phenomenon that we're focusing on here and, and the distinction that we're getting that a lot of people are getting hung up on is ideological versus material Business qualifications, right. for instance, are ideological. And people are conflating ideological adoption of ruling class ideas with being ruling class. And it, it doesn't mean that those people aren't working class. I can see the visceral opposition to considering these Netflix employees to be working class people. Yeah. Um, just because of the stark contrast in ideological differences and, and even, you know, the success that the, these segments of workers have had from the capitalist system. The labor aristocracy is comprised of individuals who have are workers who have lived a comfortable life mm -hmm. um, from capitalism and therefore in their ideologies perpetuate ruling class ideology. Ultimately, like the labor aristocracy or the professional managerial class, as people call it, the difference between you and I and them is quantitative. It is the amount of money they make. Their position of privilege is entirely based on money. It is not based on a material relationship to the ownership of the means of production, private property. Um, they have more money, but they still sell their labor. That is the, the, the difference. And what makes something a different class is not having a quantitative difference, but a qualitative difference. As we went over a, a few episodes back, we went over the Overton window and the difference between qualitative and quantitative things. Uh, here we're talking about the labor aristocracy slash PMC as people who are workers, but have a quantitative difference in their lives. So that, that provides context for what is the labor aristocracy, how it's still part of the working class. And that it has nothing to do with being white and American. And also just quickly adding that the settler shit's stupid and counterproductive, turns workers against each other, and does exactly what this PMC shit does by redirecting focus to a specific group, except where settlers does it through racialization. Uh, this PMC shit does it by like quantitative income level, relative comfort, and ideological aesthetic, more or less. Yeah, there is a labor aristocracy. It's the people that you're calling the PMC. And some of them are very, very obviously not white. So do you want to move on to um, Kathleen Lou then? I enjoyed this. Yeah. Virtue Hoarders. It's um, a good book by Catherine Liu. Oh, at the same time, mm -hmm, dialectics. Her conceptualization of this segment of the working class, of the labor aristocracy, the professional managerial class, as a class, is a distinction that I think provides a weak foundation for a plan moving forward and that I think is just theoretically incorrect. She talks about how, you know, when I say professional managerial class, I'm just going to say PMC, even though I, I am not endorsing this segment of the working class as, as a, class, yeah. a specific set apart class. Um, she says PMC elites see the workers, see themselves as the makers of history, that their policies about inequality, racism and bias circle back to strengthening their own sense of superiority culturally, morally, based off of their educated backgrounds that separate them 
from the working masses. The riffraff. The riffraff. Which is true, by the way. They and, do. Yep, I, I, that's yep. something we completely agree with. Yep. All of this is true. They they abandoned cherished standards of prior workers' movements while um, fetishizing transgression or, better yet, the performance of transgression, which is exact, exactly what we're talking about um, with the Netflix workers walking out um, and not demanding anything except to be part of the ruling class it's as you said earlier using the aesthetics of like anti-capitalism and the labor movement and striking in order to basically say hey can we have a seat at the table with the bougies yeah that's that's exactly it and and i love the way that she describes this she says the pmc desperately wants to be a gender neutral atticus finch which is true it's that's what it is that's completely right They resent the revolutionary power of leftism of the past. They want to manage social change in a possible revolution, even as their own functions are constrained by the ideological demands of the ruling class. So, again, she's completely right there. The the PMC ideology is the one that perpetuates that of the ruling class. Uh, This completely conforms to a section from Marx's The German Ideology. Uh, entitled Ruling Class and Ruling Ideas, where Marx says the class which has the means of material production at its disposal has control at the same time over the means of mental production, so that thereby, generally speaking, the ideas of those who lack the means of mental production are subject to it. Basically, you have to possess the means of material production to possess the means of mental production. So the thinkers of this class are bourgeoisie. Now, the PMC, the Netflix workers, are instead simply subject to it. The ruling ideas are nothing more than the ideal, meaning ideological, expression of the dominant material relationships. The dominant material relationships grasped as, hence the relationships which make one class the ruling one, therefore the ideas of its dominance. The ruling ideas are an expression of specifically the material relations of production. And the class which dominates that relationship has both the means of material production and therefore the means of mental production. This is also where like the mental or ideological division of labor argument that we've seen thrown around on Twitter a lot, I think, comes from. Um, It doesn't create a specific class, nor does that division of labor include some people who don't own the means of production in the bourgeoisie. Again, to own the material means of production means you own the mental means of production. And if you don't, you are subject to that ideology as opposed to creating it. So by putting the impetus on the PMC, this group of workers who is ultimately subject to the ruling ideas, as per Catherine Liu's argument, remember, she's not arguing that these folks are bourgeoisie. She is arguing that they are a class of their own. You begin to separate the ideals from the ruling class. Marx notes a process in which, number one, you separate the ideas of those ruling from the rulers. And number two, You prove like a mystical connection among these ideas, which are now somehow separate. They're not in the hands of the ruling class. They're in the hands of whoever. 
Again, in Catherine Liu's argument, it's the PMC. But in our argument, it is the labor aristocracy, bourgeois-minded workers who either aspire to be bourgeoisie or simply live in comfort and aspire to maintain that. The second step of this process makes it feel like rather than expression of the dominant material relationship of production, these are instead ideas, just something that was plucked out of thin air and dictated by some and accepted by all others, I guess. And then number three is the most important step. You have to remove this mystical appearance of the self-determining concept by changing it to a person, self-consciousness. For instance, like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, these people have ideals, right? And what they do is simply an expression of those ideals rather than an expression of the dominant material relationships. Um, or to appear thoroughly materialistic into a series of persons who represent the concept in history into the thinkers, the philosophers, the ideologists, who, again, are understood as the manufacturers of history, as the council of guardians, as the rulers. To put it in Plato's terms, the council of guardians is the philosopher kings. Thus, the whole body of materialistic elements has been removed from history, and now full reign can be given to the speculative steed. Essentially taking the Netflix workers and acting like they are some specific ideological production house which exists as its own class or as part of the bourgeoisie is an incorrect assertion in one way or another, whether it be that it's its own class or whether it be that they are a section of the bourgeoisie creating ideas which dictate society. And in this incorrect understanding of who they are, what they do, and where the ruling ideology comes from creates false consciousness. Even though they understand the futility of their own work, they do not believe in systemic changes necessary to remake economic systems that would allow the many to find rewarding work and lead meaningful lives of dignity and economic security which they have. Um, again, all of which is correct, um, except it's defining these people as separate from the working class beyond this ideological distinction. So, so that those are my major qualms and that she's, uh, her major argument is that this segment of the working class is a distinctive class of people unwilling to face their identity as such. So, so here is where that leads us. Her conclusion um, says, to build a socialist future, we have to engage in a constant struggle to overcome the political paralysis to which both centrism and pseudo-radicalism lead. Okay, I agree sure. with that. Um, the political answer to populism is not liberal reformism or moderate centrism. It's committed socialism. Nice. Yeah. Um, I hope that the short introduction to the false consciousness of a class that still wants to believe itself a heroic and virtuous political actor will strengthen the reader's resolve to reject PMC politics while building on this critique of its reactionary class positions. So she's still conceptualizing them as a class, but but it's still making cogent points and that there it's a kind of a, a a segment of the working class believing itself to be superior, heroic, virtuous, and advocating for 
for what's right through these radical aesthetics without actually wanting to change these economic systems. Um, and talks about the necessity of actually virtuous PMC members like herself joining the class war from below. And here is the kick. To do this, to accomplish these goals, committed socialism for Liu is that self-criticism must be the beginning of all political engagement. We have to reject making a virtue out of taste and consumption habits, which she is doing right now. Um, and and proposing making... as the solution to this problem. So this is, in short, an individual responsibility solution that, again, this virtuous, self-aggrandizing segment of the working class is critical in their own individual actions to enact socialism. But uh, it's just it's, a perfect expression of the ideology itself. In which the role of members of this class is critical uh, to enact a, a socialist paradigm. And as she criticizes them saying things like, oh, they believe that these virtues make them better than the riffraff, so to speak. Right. Um, While she's, again, proposing a reliance on PMC individuals to rejecting this ideology. And in rejecting it, going down yeah, to the masses. Yeah, their necessity <laughs> to work with the underclass. So it's a non-solution. It's a liberal solution. It's forming another market demographic within this segment of the labor aristocracy that sees themselves as virtuous for abandoning these ideas. And without a material basis, what the Ehrenreichs call the professional managerial class and what a lot of people are describing these Netflix workers to be and are therefore not workers, this PMC conflation with the labor aristocracy is where people are saying that these Netflix people aren't workers. And we want to refine that. Our stance is that these individuals, what Leo calls the, the PMC, what communists on Twitter are saying the Netflix employees are, this isn't a distinctive class. And it is important that we recognize this segment as working class because the result of not doing so is conducive to these individualizing, moralizing approaches to class relations, which materially does fuck all. It's moralizing class. Essentially, you're saying, like, in order to be a worker, you have to be good. Or do you, you just have to, I mean, some people were even saying that you have to be creating a physical product yeah, to be a was, worker, which like in a primarily, like we are opposed to manufacturing, like if we are primarily a service and technological economy, economy, yeah. like, and we have been for a long time. Yes. Like the service economy thing. That's like a, the seventies, eighties thing. Like, it, the, I mean, how many people do you know that work in a fucking factory? And to people who are not, like, internet poisoned with, like, different leftist factions, that's so obvious that, like, people providing services are workers. Well, yeah. Um, even if you don't think they're very useful. And that's the other aspect of the moralizing of workers. Right. It's, it's if you're creating something of value or if you're creating something useful that people need. Um were the people working in the fidget spinner factory exactly. not workers? Yeah. Because I'll tell you this right now, those things were not useful. They had to invent a use for them. Yeah. They created them before they even had a way to market them to anybody. But yeah. even Marx said 
I mean, he didn't use the word service. He he talked about productive activity with a use value being exchanged. But he talked about a wandering tailor coming in and performing a service for somebody and it being a commodity. He didn't use the word service. It's important to note that. So if, like, if, you, if you control F the Grundris for service, you're not going to find it. Uh, they, they talked in different nomenclature. Uh, like the, the idea of a service economy didn't even exist at that point. And, and that's what it was Engels talking about um, the like drastic ideological and even like quantitative material differences between these groups. That's what I believe today with those distinctions even stronger elicits such a, a like a visceral okay, yeah. untheoretically based reaction to this saying like, oh, these people aren't workers. I, I can't feed my fucking family and they, they're walking out because they got offended. Um, I, I'm not saying that, that that's, that means that they're correct, but I understand the, the emotional vitriol that, that wants to antagonize this group of workers. But in any case, what these Netflix employees are is they are labor aristocrats who are materially advocating for class collaboration. Um, literally on paper in their demands. They're not trying to hide that. That is what they no. advocate for. And that is why, that is why this isn't just like a theoretical semantics. We're not being pedantic here. It is important. It is critical. Because again, it's a material relationship. It's not an ideological relationship. Because ideologically, uh, Lenin, Engels, Marx, they would all agree these folks are bourgeois-minded. They're liberalism-oriented. They are not here to antagonize capital. They are here to say, I want a place at the table because they have been given a life where the ideology of capitalism, the idea that if you work hard, you'll succeed, uh, whether or not they've actually worked hard to get there, in their own minds, certainly they have. There is some major ego going on with being a member of uh, the labor aristocracy, um, but there's not uh, a material basis. There, it, it, it's a quantitative difference in which, again, their privilege and position is based entirely on money, meaning that it is in a position of precarity in which they have to continually defend the bourgeoisie, they have to continually appease the bourgeoisie because if their salary stays the same, they ultimately continue to make less because money is worth less all the time, less and less. Inflation makes money's value go down. Right. These people don't have wealth. They have income. Yes. And therefore, they are always, at least on a slowly moving slope, downwardly mobile. That is a position of precarity, whether or not people want to understand it or not. Now, is it a position of precarity similar to that of, let's say, a poor homeless trans person? Absolutely not. But this is the key. The difference between these demands, these ultimately like include me in the bourgeoisie demands, these culture war oriented demands. Pick me, bitch demands. And actual material issues, the material conditions that most trans people deal with is completely different. A trans person is, depending on some characteristics like uh, what racial group they belong to, um, are between two and three times more likely to live in extreme poverty as a non-dependent adult. Like, that is 
insane. That is such a high rate of poverty. And that matters significantly more than if one trans person becomes the VP of content at Netflix. And saying shit like that gets people angry at me on Twitter. Yeah, it's very trans. <laughs> because people don't fucking understand that class collaboration is not a meaningful progression of any group of people. It is simply a means to induct certain people into the inner sanctum of the bourgeoisie. Right, and thereby perpetuate the capital space. But again, like it's really important that we understand that we can't moralize the working class. A worker can be good, a worker can be bad, a worker can be pro-class struggle, a worker can be uh, reform-oriented and want class collaboration. A worker isn't automatically a good thing. A worker is a person, uh, somebody who believes something, somebody who is flawed, somebody who has the potential to do great things. Like, every single person is like this. And this is just simply a strata of people whom have been given an income and position that validate that shit. <laughs> right. And despite all of that, there's still segments of the workers. They're still part of the proletariat. And that has to be acknowledged if we want to move forward. We can't sit here and talk about how bad the PMC are and how vital it is that they understand. Well, that's uh, that's a whore. Just how fucking hung up these post-left people get on the PMC. I mean, even the regular left does, even though they themselves are generally those folks. Uh, they're not generally those folks. They are. But, <laughs> I mean, the left, the post-left, these people all get hung up and how vital it is that these people start to understand that they are different and really, in all honesty, special and above the working class. It's the politics of envy. It is the politics of envy. <laughs> if a communist were participating in the drafting of these demands, what positions might they advocate in contrast to class collaborationism? Well, first of all, if a communist were drafting any kind of walkout demands, it would have to do with compensation and, and things that actually affect health care plans. Yeah. <laughs> discrimination even to some extent yeah. like um, and when i say discrimination i mean like hiring discrimination firing discrimination different standards for different types of workers based on identity those things are actually valid yeah. to have a problem about however the important thing to remember here is like taking a picture of dave Chappelle down is not a material demand like tangible initiatives related to the, the conditions that the workers exist in. Right. And again, I, I want to validate Leo's description of this using this performative transgression to gain insight or even just like physical in to the bourgeoisie through their demands. Like Bertram Wolf said, they're angling for a bribe. That's all for today. Thanks again for watching or listening. This is Pact. I'm Peter. This is Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor. To help us out, click like, follow, subscribe, whatever. Leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Audible. To support us, become a patron at patreon.com slash pactpod. That's P-A-C-D-P-O-D. Thanks so much, everybody. We will see you next time.